All right, good morning, everyone. We continue our study of, I would say not study of, our support group for Emuna. Well, we're all working on and reinforcing our uh, sense of faith and trust in the Ribbono Shalom. We are on page Mem Zayin, page 47, Os Ches, the letter Ches. We are continuing to learn the Nesiva Shalom, the Islam Rebbe, on the topic of Emuna that is in his uh, section called Yesodei HaTorah. If all mitzvos and all service of Hashem requires a sense of clarity, you can't just coast through life. You can't just allow momentum to carry you. But you need clarity and you need to be dorish. You need to be searching and asking, what does Hashem want from me? What's the purpose of this mitzvah? Why am I doing it? To always ask, why am I lighting these candles? And why am I listening to this Megillah? And why am I keeping the Shabbos? And why does it matter what I put in my mouth? And why, what is it all about? How does it transform me? What is the deeper meaning and purpose? If that's true for all mitzvos, all the more so does the mitzvah of emuna. Again, we often don't think of emuna as a mitzvah. We think I gotta hear the Megillah, I gotta light the candle, I gotta keep the kosher, I gotta do the, th- I got a long list of things, I gotta kosher in the kitchen for Pesach, I gotta eat the matzah, I gotta. We have a long list of mitzvos, and on that list, we too often neglect and we forget that on that list of mitzvos is emuna. Oh yeah, I gotta have faith. Oh yeah, I have to remember each day that there's Hashem, He created the universe, He created me, He knows everything in my life, nothing is happening by chance. Oh yeah, I have to remember all that too. And we've talked about this before, but the Iker, the core mitzvah emuna, is to live with emuna pshuta. Is to live with a simple level of faith. Not to overcomplicate, not to overanalyze, not to overpontificate, but rather to live with the simple faith. It's not just at the beginning what should launch our life of faith is, you know what? If every book I read, I know there's an author. If every building I enter, I know there's an architect. If every painting I look at and admire, I know there's a painter, an artist. So this world I operate in, clearly it has a creator too. That's a munapshuta. Don't overthink it. Just realize that there's a greater power, that there's a greater source, that the world has a greater meaning and purpose. That's how it all begins. Why should you believe? Because that's what the Almighty wants for you to believe. So if you know there's a creator of the universe, if you know he's invested in your life, then believe because you know that that's what he asks of us. So, Islam Rebbe is saying, not everybody agrees to this. I want it to be clear that this is a machlokas. It's not the universal opinion of everyone. But for the Islam Rebbe and his tradition, he's saying that once you begin to pontificate and analyze and doubt and challenge and then you're no longer doing emuna. Now you're studying Torah. Now you're engaging in some other process. Wonderful. It's not emuna. Emuna is that first inkling. It's that moment of acceptance. Emuna is that clarity that there is a God, there's meaning, there's order, there's purpose. And once you get beyond that initial sense of emuna, now you've moved beyond the mitzvah. As the Baal Shem Tov used to say, After 
after all of my after all of my investigation and analysis to understand the depth of mitzvahs, the reasons of mitzvahs, after all that I do that, I set that aside, and when I do the mitzvah, it's for one reason, because Hashem asked me to. It's an expression of my amuna. Let me put it to you differently by telling you a beautiful insight of the Maharsha. Maharsha of Shmuel Idels appears in the back of the Gemara, the standard edition of the Gemara. And the Maharsha asks the following in the Gemara Shabbos. The Gemara says, we read last week in Pashas Mishpatim, that the Jewish people, when they stood on Har Sinai, and God said, I want to make you an offer. I've got this incredible thing called the Torah. It's the blueprint for life. It's how you'll discover happiness. It's how you'll navigate the world. What do you say? You're interested. And what did the Jewish people respond? What is that iconic phrase that we know and associate with Har Sinai? Na'asa v'nishma. We will accept, we will do, and we will listen. And the Marsha, oh, it's coming up, it's okay. The Marsha asks, so the Gemara Shabbos says, that the Jewish people at that moment that they said Nasa v'nishma, and they put Nasa before Nishma, they received two crowns. The angels descended from above, and they put two crowns on the head of every Jew at Sinai. One for Nasa, and one for Nishma. Says the Marsha, why did you get two crowns? How many crowns should they have received? One crown. Because the fact that they said Nasa before Nishma, that's what's incredible. They said, don't even tell me the favor. I'm in. I'll do it. Whatever you ask of me, I'm good. But what happens? If someone says to you, Penny says, Rabbi, could you do me a favor? And I say, Penny, you're so good to us for so long. Whatever you need. I'm in. Don't we still have to have the follow-up conversation? Okay, what's the favor? So the fact that they said Nishma, why do you get a crown for Nishma? They needed to know what to do. They needed to hear, what am I supposed to do? The only impressive thing is they put Nasa before Nishma. But once they said Nasa, of course they still needed to say Nishma. So they should have received one crown to reflect the greatness of putting Nasa before Nishma. Why two crowns? What's the crown of Nishma? The Marsha says something important. Says the Marsha, Nasa v'Nishma. Let me give you a different metaphor. Yechevet says, I want you to do something. I say, Yechevet, You've been even better than Penny to me for so long. And whatever in the world you need, whatever you want, whatever you need, that's the kind of husband I am, I'm all in. And then she tells me what it is. And it makes no sense to me. This never happens. But in in theory, it's a a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. It makes absolutely no sense to me. It's illogical, it's irrational, it's counterintuitive. Maybe I think it's even wrong. It makes no sense to me. So if I say Nishma, I say, okay, tell me what it is you want me to do. And she tells me what it is I want to do. And it makes no sense to me. And I go do it. Is that amazing? Yes. Husband of the year. Absolutely. (laughs) But what makes it even more amazing is if I say, I want you to know I'm committed to do whatever you want. Then she tells me what it is and it makes no sense. And Nishma, says the Maharsha, means help me understand why. I want to get into your head. I want to understand where you're coming from. Help me understand why that matters and why you see it that way and why that makes sense. Help me understand, help me understand why. So, says the Marsha, that's why they got two crowns. The crown for Nishma, Nishma and Nasa and Nishma, doesn't mean, okay, I said I do the favor, I need to now know what it is. It means I want to understand. I want to plumb the depths. I want to understand the meaning. I want to see the reason. I want to connect with it. I don't just want to do it like I'm a hired hand. I don't want to just do it like I have a checklist, mindlessly doing it. 
I want to do it mindfully. I want to understand. Jewish people said to Hashem, your Torah, you're making us an offer? We have to change our entire lives and lifestyles? Nasa, we're in. And God said, okay, here's what you have to do. And they said, Vinishma. Even though we're already committed to doing it, so it shouldn't make a difference whether we understand it or not, we're still committed to understand it. We want to learn it, we want to understand it, we want to get to it. But in the end of the day, why did they do it? So we fulfill Nishma. We have an obligation to read the Megillah and Purim, to give Matanas Lavyonim and to make Mishloch Manos. We have an obligation to drink a shtickle. We have an obligation on Purim. So Hashem says, here's a holiday of Purim. The rabbis, acting as God's agents, said, here's a holiday of Purim. And we said, Nasa, we're in. And then God said, okay, here's the list of what you need to do. And we still said, Nishma. We want to study, we want to understand, we want to see. But if you ask me, why am I hearing the Megillah? Why am I making a Sudan? Why am I giving Matanas Lavyonim? And why am I making Mishloch Manos? Would I say to you, oh, there's a beautiful reason, Mishloch Manos, a famous Machlokas. Is it because I'm, I'm trying to create friendship? No, the answer is, you know why? Because God said so. When it comes to any mitzvah, if someone were to wake us in the middle of the night and say, why do you do that mitzvah? The answer should be, because when God says jump, I say how high. Because God said to do it. He's the creator of the universe. He sustains me. He gives me everything that I have. I literally am nothing without him. And when he says do, I jump. Okay, that's wonderful. Do you understand anything about it? Yeah, yeah, I've studied it. Let me explain to you the deeper reason. But why do you do it? Because Hashem said to do it. And that's what the Islam Rebbe is describing, this tradition from the Baal Shem. You have a Muna in God. You see God in your life. Yeah, Why? Because God said so, to see God in my life, to see everything that unfolds. Whether I'm sitting in traffic or can't find the parking spot, whether I'm suffering from a cold that won't go away, whether my potato kogo came out good or terrible, whether my kid's coming home and giving me a problem, whether whatever from big to small is happening in my life, I see it coming from and coordinated by Hashem. Why? Because Hashem said so. What do you mean? He runs the world. Ah, but what leads you to have Amuna? Ah, oh, I go to this class, let me tell you all these things we've learned, let me tell you about Amuna. But if you ask the immediate reason, life has to be driven by Amuna Pshuta. Do not overcomplicate. Keep things simple. Ich bin ein Nahr in Gloib. Who speaks Yiddish? Even though I've merited to study it and to see it and to understand it in its core, she could stay. I'm not right, but I believe. Okay, I'm a fool, but I'm a nar. I don't fulfill Amuna by reading philosophy. I don't even fulfill Amuna by studying about Amuna. I fulfill Amuna by being a mammon. It's very important. Because there's all kinds of people who pontificate and research and write and, and have opinions. But then when it comes, push comes to shove, something's going on in their life, they forget all about that you're supposed to at that moment turn to and think about Hashem. I go to an Amuna class and I'm on the Amuna WhatsApp group and I subscribe to seven Amuna newsletters and I have my own Amuna blog and I teach Amuna, 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 Amuna. And then something happens and I get bent out of shape, I get angry, I get anxious, I forget to have gratitude. What happened to Amuna? Oh yeah. I forgot that that's actually supposed to be in practice. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, I read seven diet newsletters and I belong to three gyms and I have a trainer and the guru and then the chocolate cake presents itself and I, you know, swallow it down in one bite. You say, what, what happened to the books you're reading, the newsletters, the blogs? You're preaching it. Oh yeah, no, I forget. at the moment of the chocolate cake, I totally forgot about that. I just love chocolate cake. So, 
emuna, the proof is in the pudding. Emuna and the fulfillment of the mitzvah of emuna is not when we're sitting around. What we're doing on Wednesday mornings, we are not yotze. We don't get a check of emuna. You get a check next to Talmud Torah. We're learning Torah. And that's wonderful. You get a check next to taking time out of your busy schedule and not doing the alternative things you could have been doing. You get a check next to Avodah Hashem, working on yourself. But Amuna you don't get right now. You know when you get Amuna? If you go outside and somebody blocked you in and now you're going to be late. You get Amuna if the class is over, you look at your phone, you got a text that really bothers You get Amuna when, not you're learning about it, but when it's time to put it into practice. Why is it that you don't fulfill Amuna in the moment that you're contemplating Amuna? Because what is Amuna? At the core of Amuna is self nullification. At the core of Amuna is the recognition that I am nothing. I have no independence. I have no autonomy. I am ultimately nothing on my own. His batlas. <coughs> it's nullification. It is the utter reliance and dependence on the Almighty. So the moment I'm thinking and contemplating and calculating and concluding, I'm actually promoting the sense of I. I am thinking, I am calculating, I am analyzing, I am thinking and contemplating and concluding. Well, then that's not Amuna. Because real Amuna is, I'm nothing. So the two can't go hand in hand. The moment you're thinking about Amuna, you're not practicing Amuna. Real Amuna is stopping to think and starting to jump. That's real Amuna. Again, this is not universal. There are different opinions on this issue. But we're learning this opinion of the Salam Rebbe. Amuna is to transcend everything you think and know and to just feel. To just feel. You're going to sit with your spouse and talk about, what is love? Do we love one another? What is love? How do we define love? And am I feeling that love? And is my love for you different than the love for the children? And, I, and you say, just be quiet and, and just love me. Just, just, just take the garbage out. Like I asked you, why did you have to get into this whole poem about what is love? And I, do I love you? And can I love you without taking the garbage out? And is garbage the only manifestation of love? You said, just, just stop talking. Stop talking. Stop thinking. And show me that you love me because love is in practice. So the moment that you're talking, what is Amuna? Do I feel Amuna? Does Amuna mean I have to keep kosher? I have to, can I have Amuna but do things my way? God says, just stop talking. Stop talking. Because the moment you're talking and you're thinking, you're not feeling, you're not nullifying, you're not surrendering. You know, even love is to surrender to the emotion of love. I don't want to oversimplify love. Love is its own complicated emotion. And to us, love is about what you do, not how you feel. Love is a verb, not a noun. So, to us, love is about, but, but love again is about surrender. Surrendering to the emotion of, of love. And Amuna is, is similar. The Ma'aral says that when you understand Amuna in its truth, as Teda, you will know. The moment you know something, you understand something, that's the understanding of man. Amun is the opposite of your understanding. It's despite not understanding, you take that leap of faith. It's despite it not making sense. It's despite it not being clear. 
The real test of emuna is not when everything makes sense and everything comes into a clear picture and everything is wonderful and hunky-dory and blessings are flowing. That's not the test of emuna. The test of emuna is when nothing makes sense and you lack clarity. The test of emuna is when you feel far away and distance and you don't feel close. That's when you have to fake it till you make it. That's when you have to practice the emuna nonetheless. Take that leap. That's when you have to live that way. The Sefer Achinach has a famous uh, insight. Sefer Achinach says, Achar HaPa'ulos Nimshach HaLavavos. Sefer Achinach says, and human psychology has only caught up with this insight now, a thousand years later, less than 800 years later. Sefer Achinach says, Achar HaPa'ulos, after the actions, Nimshach HaLavavos, follow the heart. Meaning, our emotions are conditioned by the things that we do. Do, do, and then you'll feel. If you wait to feel, you'll often never do. But if you start doing, it'll make you feel a certain way. So based on this... Exactly, positive psychology. But it's not only positive psychology in your thinking, it's more positive practices will lead to a positive attitude. What you do will impact how you feel. For example, there's a tremendous amount of research about volunteering. People who suffer from clinical depression, if you volunteer, the generosity of volunteering helps overcome depression. And I'm not simplifying... I don't mean to minimize clinical depression. It's a significant issue and, and it's not as simple as, you know, go uh, volunteer at the soup kitchen and, and you know, get out of your rut and be in, stop being in this bad attitude. But whether it's, whether it's non-clinical depression, you know, just you're in a rut, or literally clinical depression, you could research this, you'll see that psychology now encourages you that if you volunteer, if you get outside of yourself, that you're thinking, <laughs> go volunteer, go do and go give, and you will be transformed in the way that you, that you feel. So that's what he's saying here, the Maharal is saying, that um, even when you don't feel, you got to do. Even when you don't feel emuna, you got to live emuna. And by living emuna, you will come to feel emuna. So many people think, you know, we are sophisticated, modern Orthodox Jews, we use big words like ontological and axiological, and you know, Rabbi Soloveitchik, and we study C.S. Lewis and Kierkegaard and Kant, and, and, and therefore, somebody who has a munapshuta, you know, that old babushka whose tehillim are worn out, even though she doesn't understand and can't translate one word in it, but she talks about Hashem and feels Hashem, and Hashem, she, that's a very superficial. I take philosophy classes and advanced philosophy classes and read philosophy books and study philosophy and I have a much... No, no, no. You're nothing. She's everything. To get to that level of emuna. So we often think I have to study it till I'm compelled to live it. And it's the opposite. Live it and you'll be compelled to feel it. So every time you begin to feel yourself getting anxious, every time you begin to feel you're haunted by worry, every time you have a tinge of a desire for revenge... Every time that you don't understand why what's happening is happening and you're living with doubt and uncertainty, in all of those moments, and everything I described means that there's somebody who feels one of those every day. So in those moments is when we have to, like the exercise in the chocolate cake, we have to remember, no, this, it's time, the rubber's meeting the road. Take a deep breath. Think about everything we talk about and learn. There's a Hashem. He created the world. He loves us. Things are for a reason. And even though I don't feel it, I'm going to say it and I'm going to live it, and I'm going to practice it. And doing that day in and day out leads to the result of, of feeling it. Leads to the result of feeling it. Again, I'm coming back to the comparison of love, because faith and love, I think, are corollaries to a degree of one another. But they say that again. If you see love not as a noun, but love as a, 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 a verb, 
If you practice love, you'll come to love. If you practice love, you'll come to love. Invest yourself. Practice love. Do the things that are love. Therapists use this in therapy all the time too. So you're in a rut in your relationship, so you feel alienated and distanced, so you're not getting along. Go out of your way to love, to be giving to one another, to compromise towards one another, to surrender to one another. Because that act itself will yield the feeling as a result. Not always. There can be substantive issues which are not going to be overcome by that. But if it's just a rut in marriage, then the answer is not, you know, I don't feel like doing that for you right now. I don't feel like being close to you. I don't feel like being intimate emotionally, physically, or in any way. I don't feel close to you right now. And I'm waiting for when I'll feel it again. Then we'll connect in that way. Now, start connecting in that way, and then you're going to start feeling it. And the same is true with Amuna. Don't wait to feel faith, and then you'll practice it. Practice a life of faith, and the result will be, you will start feeling it. Shlema Amuna. The complete notion of Amuna is something which permeates and resonates throughout our entire being. And it has three manifestations. There's Amuna B'moach. There's an intellectual Amuna. Intellectual amuna is partially what we do here on Wednesday mornings. It's reading philosophy, it's studying amuna, it's exploring evidence for the presence of the Almighty. It's in the brain, it's intellectual, it's cognitive. There's such a thing as amuna in your heart. Something just happened to you which was so meaningful, so coincidental, seemingly random, so unlikely that you just feel in your heart connected and in love with Hashem. You know He's there. You know He's guiding your life. You feel His presence. You feel His guiding hand on your shoulder. You feel His embrace in your life. That's the amuna in the heart. And the, the Alta Salonim Rebbe says, maybe B'Shem HaTzadik brings in the name of some Tzadik, Talmud HaMagid, a student of the Magid of Mezrich, and you saw so we think that these two forms of amuna, the intellectual amuna and the experiential amuna, we think that they are corollaries of one another. We think they complement one another. We think they go hand in hand with one another. But the tradition that Salaam Rabbi is saying is that the two types of amuna, you know, they say, maybe to take off of this, the farthest distance between any two objects in the world is the distance between our head and our heart. The farthest distance between any two objects in the whole world is the distance between our head and our heart. Go back to the chocolate cake example. Your head knows don't go near the chocolate cake. Your heart wants the chocolate cake. Who usually wins? The heart usually beats the head. And the farthest two distance, what do you mean? Just They're right there. They're, they're a few feet, a few inches from one another. Let the head just tell the heart, stop craving the chocolate cake. What are you doing? But the farthest distance... That's why there's a Gemara, you know, the Gemara says that among the people we send home from war, ineligible to, for combat, is, uh, is somebody who's rachlevav, soft of heart. And the Gemara interprets it means, hasach bein tefillin tefillin. A man who talks between putting on his hand tefillin and his head tefillin, ah, ineligible for combat, you're going home. Really? That's the worst of era in the world? He talked in between putting on the hand tefillin and the head tefillin? Really? What in the world does that have to do with what kind of soldier he'll be? Are there not worse averos that you would make someone ineligible? 
We don't say, if you don't keep Shabbat, you don't keep kosher, you don't Lashonara, you're not honest in business, go home from war. The only thing we say, you have to go home from war, is if you talk between putting on the arm filling and the head filling. That's the worst Avera. So I once suggested that maybe what the Gemara means is, what, what is the symbolism of talking between the arm filling and the head filling? It's a disconnect between what's up here and what's in here. It's a disconnect. If you talk in between, you've created a barrier, a disconnect between what you know and what you do. You can't have a soldier on the front line who has a disconnect between what they know and what they do. That their officer says, do this, and they know it intellectually, but they have trouble bringing it into practice physically. So, says the Son of Rebbe, Intellectual amuna is as distant from experiential amuna as the heavens is distant from the earth. But there's a third category or expression of amuna. The amuna sa'ivarim. It's the amuna of the limbs. It's when your it's when your um, flesh and your bones, it's when your organs and your veins feel amuna. You have such confidence, such knowledge, such experience that there's a God in the world and that He loves you and that He is guiding your life. When you feel it so intensely. It's not just intellectually. It's not just something in your heart that emotionally. Your entire essence, your entire being feels it. Amun has to be so rooted in the heart. Till your entire body feels Amun. We say in davening from Tehillim that all of my bones will say. Some say that's the origin of shuckling. That when you're shuckling, trying to get this rhythm, shuckling is like a meditative experience. You're getting into this rhythm. But it's also, you're saying, it's not lip service. My whole body, God, is singing your praise. My whole body is, is in this rhythm of knowing that you're here. When you lack amuna in your being, in your body, you might be in a situation where intellectually you know that God will take care of it. And emotionally you know God will take care of it. But your body is reacting as if God will not take care of it. Either because you're running away from something, or because you're taking action which shows that you really don't have faith that it's in God's hands. Or... I would add, though he doesn't say it explicitly, your body, you're physically sick over something. So you come to the shir and intellectually you know that Hashem will take care of it. And emotionally you know that Hashem will take care of it. You pour your heart over to Him, you cry, you know it. But your body is physically sick because really in your core, you're not so sure Hashem is going to take care of it. And you get physically sick. You can't sleep at night. So even though your brain during the day thinks Hashem will take care of it, your heart during the day thinks Hashem will take care of it, if your body can't sleep at night, it's revealing, do you really think Hashem is going to take care of it? So this third level of Amuna, yes? No, but I, I, I think the fear is, that you know that God will take care of it, but you may feel that you're worried about how He'll take care of it, that will be so painful to you. No, really, so Penny's looking for a Hector to still worry. <laughs> but I think that's where the worry comes from. And I think everyone here, everyone here has children in Jewish schools who are watching the newspaper and thinking with these threats and things, the way the world has changed. Newspaper, how about our driveways? But, right, yeah. <laughs> right. But um, you're right to a certain degree. 
but it's an excuse. You'll excuse me. No, no, that's because fine. Because the, the, the real, the height of emunah, which I'm not suggesting is easy yeah. or it's easily accessible. Yeah. But the emunah that we're striving to live is such that we say, you know what? I'm not worried about how Hashem will take care of it. He's my father. Does the child say, I'm worried how my father's going to take care of it? You're in the car, you're on your way somewhere. Does the child say, well, what if we're going to a place I'm not going to enjoy? What if we're going to, uh, what, what if this is not good for me? What if we're going to do hard labor and it's going to be so hard on me? What if we're going to be whatever? Child's like, my dad's driving the car. Uh, wherever we go, it's going to be great. That's hard. Oh, so that's different. Our initiative and the effort that we have to take, and if I'm worried, will I do a good job on my initiative? That's a worthy worry. But when we've done all that we can, right? anything that's in our control, anything that's a result of our initiative, we need to do, and we should worry whether we'll do it well, because that motivates us to do it well. But when we've done all we can, when we've taken all the initiative, when there's something that's beyond our control, then... I'm going to give you an example which is unattainable. I'm not, I'm not setting it as a standard. It's almost unattainable, but I'm trying to tell you the level of emuna possible. Somebody has a lump. Somebody has a concern. They go for a biopsy. It takes three or four days, which is the greatest form of torture in the universe, until they get the results. What are those three or four days like? Who cannot help but be nervous, right? You could get results that are going to alter the course of your life, your family's life, everything, your entire existence. So, is there more initiative to take then? No. You had the lump, you went to the doctor, you took that initiative. You scheduled the biopsy, you took that initiative. You endured the pain of the biopsy. The initiative is done. The highest level of Amuna would say, I'm not even giving thought to the results of this biopsy because there's nothing I can do to influence it and it's in God's hands. And if it comes back positive, which is negative, ironically, if it comes back bad, it's for a reason. And God will be there and guide me through it and I don't know what it will mean or what it will result in, but I know that it's not random and chance. And if it comes back all okay, then it's all fantastic. But if I live with that high level of emuna, then I'm not even giving a second, I'm not awake at night and it's not on my mind all day and I'm not, not stopping and thinking about it. Because real emuna means that, not just intellectual emuna, because by the way, people can, when they're waiting for the biopsy, intellectually say, yeah, no, I have emuna, whatever it will be, Hashem will be with me. I've heard people say it, we've said it. You could wait and say it. You could even feel it in your heart. You know, you're davening to Hashem, you're pouring your heart over, Hashem, I took a biopsy, I have complete faith in you that whatever the results are, they're meant to be. The question is in your bones, in your kishkas. That's what he's saying. This third level of amuna, which is your kishkas. Is it lip service? Are you just saying intellectually, I know it's going to be okay, God? Are you just saying emotionally in your tehillim and your davening, God, I know it's in your hands, but you can't sleep at night? and you've get, you're getting a bleeding ulcer, and you're, haka, you're, you're nervous out of your mind, because your kishkas are not reflecting the amuna you claim to have in your head and in your heart. I'm not giving that as the standard, that that's what's expected. It's almost impossible to say, you know, a biopsy? Oh yeah, I forgot I took that. I'm still waiting for the results. Yeah. No, no, I have such amuna, I forgot to think about it again. Uh, yeah. I'm not suggesting that that's even attainable, let alone is the expectation of us. I'm just describing it as the example of the poss- possibility of what is. We should all know, you should all know that there are people who are on that level. I know people who are on that level. That was a great example. Right, right. It should be the easiest bit to do. That you have to figure out how to do it. 
Right, you have a difficult decision to make in the make, yes. I also think it, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with her because I'm a warrior, and yeah. even though I have You're Jewish. Jonah, and, <laughs> and I know that in the end, and sometimes you find out in this life, sometimes you don't, that, you, that there was a reason. But I think the anxiety and, and all the emotions come from what if, that if it is the bad outcome, you're going to be going, even though it's for a good reason, you right. can accept right. that right. as a child. Right. We don't, we're like children, our parents are holding us down to get a spinal tap, and we're saying, how could our parents be complicit in it? But we know, as adults, we know right. that has, you know, right. the parents meant well. You can still be very anxious about all the pain or the loss or the ch- you know, what you're going Good, experience. but anxiety is being... Anticipation is different than worry. Meaning... If someone says you need to endure pain, you could be concerned about the pain because pain is pain. All the immun in the world will not turn pain into pleasure. So, but are you worried about just the pain or are you worried in anticipation because you're worried what will this mean, how will this result, why is this happening? So I agree with you. There's a nuance within, but I'm describing that more as anticipation than I am describing it as worry. Okay. If you know you have to go get a procedure, which is... Yeah, if you know you have to undergo a painful procedure, mm-hmm. worry means... I'm worried what the results will be and the consequences and what it will mean and why it's happening. Anticipation is, I know that I have pain scheduled at 10 a.m. tomorrow and I have, I'm anticipating that pain. It's, okay. it's the pain of anticipating the pain. Let's just finish up this paragraph. In the tefillah of Ribon Kola Olamim, I don't know if everyone says it, it's a Hasidish practice, in between Shalom Aleichem and Eshes Chayal and making Kiddush, there's a beautiful tefillah on Friday night which talks about transforming the home from the mundane to the holy, from the weekday to Shabbos. It's a beautiful, beautiful tefillah. So, Ribon Kol In that tefillah, the word Vayichulu appears three times. And by the way, just in general on Friday night, we say Vayichulu three times. We say it in our silent Shemon Atzrei, then we say it in Shul together, Vayichulu, and then we say it in Kiddush. So, the... Uh, it says, I will testify, God, that you created the world in six days, and then I will repeat it a second time and a third time. What is God, you created the whole universe. You are the creator. Why do we say it three times? Because to truly testify that you, God, are the creator means I believe it in my head, I believe it in my heart, and I believe it in my kishkas. I believe it at all three levels. All of my being, all of my bones will say, God, there is no one like you. How do you get to that level? You know, the irony is, and that's what he's ending here with, the person who gets to that level, that their kishkas know that there is Hashem, is not the person who studied it and has a PhD in philosophy. It's the person who's just a munapshuta. It's, the, it's just the, it's the simple, very simple faith that gets you there. I love to quote, my friend Steve Berg once wrote an article where he talked about the fact that, he says, today's high school, day school, Jewishly educated young ladies, they can sit with Tehillim and they know what the Mitzvahs Dov and the Mitzvahs Tzion and Rashi and the Ibn Ezra, they could tell you what all the commentaries say on every Pasuk and all of Tehillim. They know what Menachem Liebteg says on the Tehillim and how the Tehillim structure works. And the, they know everything Das Mikra says on Tehillim. Our grandmothers couldn't translate one word of Tehillim. They didn't even know the name of a commentator, let alone what the commentator said. said, but why is it that our grandmothers could cry when they say Tehillim and our children 
struggle to connect. So, because if Tehillim is just upstairs in the Moach, if it's in the intellectual, oh yeah, I heard a great class, heard a great share on Tehillim, I know what all the commentaries say, and we compared and contrasted, and we studied and we analyzed. But Tehillim is much more than that. Yechevet has on the wall over here her grandmother's Tehillim. Because that Tehillim that she poured over, she completed Tehillim every week, and that Tehillim that she poured over as she davened for her children and for her, for her child, for her grandchildren, that Tehillim represents not cognitively emuna. that Tehillim represents emuna pshuta. You're sitting there, you, you know what it takes to say words for a significant amount of time every day that you have no idea what you're saying? Yeah. If I gave you a book in Japanese and said, just forget what it means, you don't know what it means, I don't know, just, just say these words for 45 minutes a day. You'd go out of your mind. If I said, do it because you care about your grandchildren, you want them to stay on the path, you want them to, you want to have nachas from them. It's a tremendous mysterious nefesh to do. And I'm not saying, by the way, that we should stop learning and understanding what it means, because somehow that's undermining. I'm just saying that we shouldn't confuse sophisticated emuna with emuna pshuta. We shouldn't confuse sophisticated learning with the simple leap of faith to say, I know this Hashem, I have people I daven for, including myself. God, I'm taking the leap, I'm jumping out, I'm, I'm holding on to you. All right, Mr. Hashem, we'll pick it up next week. Yes.